0: Welcome back to My Love Letter Time Machine. Hi, I'm Ingrid Batchel hughes and I've been serialising the love letters of my great-great-grandparents, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton, and we've been looking at Victorian history through their eyes. And today, I have a bonus episode for you, where I answer your questions, we take a little look at my granddad's memoirs, and we discuss the future of the podcast. So today we are doing a Q&A and I'm going to talk to you about what I'd like to do with my love letter time machine in the future, as I think I've worked out a way how to carry on the stories for a while longer. While I'm at it, thank you to everyone who has left a review. It is a great way to support the podcast and it doesn't cost any money. So can I ask, if you haven't already, would you leave a review and click the ratings for me? Thank you so much. It helps enormously. Now, first I feel I must apologise on some level for breaking everyone's hearts for the last episode where we ended up saying goodbye to our Fred. It's so strange. I know Fred died 129 years ago, but in a weird way, he also died last week after such an intense time in his company. I want to thank you not only for your lovely questions, but also for your kind messages asking how I was including this one from Chris in Ontario. Just listened to the recent episode, I'm sobbing while I make toast. Such lovely letters people sent to Janie, none of those what to save to a bereaved person lessons required, and I am in awe of how she went on without her love, with six small children as well. You did a wonderful job, despite what was surely so painful and sad, made me think of my own spousal loss. Everyone who has lost a beloved, including you and all the people you've come to know and love through these letters. You're right that Fred was a bright spark, like my spouse. Aren't we so lucky to have known and loved them? And the rest of us are so lucky to have shared Fred and Janie's love story through your amazing talent and hard work. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciated getting that message. It's been something of a roller coaster this season, and I was unprepared for it. I also got this message from Lee. It's been emotional recently, with the low point being the passing of Fred. My question is, how are you? You have lived and breathed it, and these remarkable individuals are your past relatives. How have you been these last couple of weeks, and have you been able to reflect on your own journey? Thank you, Lee. I'm okay. I did have a couple of rough days, to be honest, during the recording process of the last episode, but i bounced back a bit. I knew we were always headed here. I always knew that poor Janie and Fred only had 12 years of married life together, but to see them realising their dream of bettering their lives after relatively poor beginnings, only to have that all fall over and in such a horrible, painful way, well, that coming after reading all their hopeful letters week in, week out, was just so sad. When I think when I started this journey, I was unprepared that it was going to take bits of my very soul with it. Don't get me wrong, I'm not resentful of that but it's been more a labour of love than I was expecting. But then I think all the best journeys are like that, aren't they? Pearl Cardigan 57 sent me this message. I'm thinking about those photos you posted on Instagram and how different they'd seem without the letters. How rare is it that you have been able to get to know your ancestors in this way? I am struck most by their sense of community and family and for improving themselves. From Fred's New Year's resolutions and church going to their constant discussions of how to be better and how to give back to their friends and neighbours and family. There's no silly gossip or discussion of TV shows or celebrity or royalty. It's all about themselves and their circle. The world hadn't gone global yet, no cars, cinemas, it was all just lovely. Thank you so much for sharing. I can see that this really touched you. Thank you so much for this comment. For those of you not following on Instagram, which is my love letter time machine, or one word by the way, I've been putting up some pictures of Janie and Fred's family, and this last week a couple of pictures of Janie and Fred out with their friends. I started writing this podcast perhaps four months after the last lockdown was over, and I was really struck by how much community interaction everybody had with each other in their letters. I felt my first true envy when Fred wrote in his diary of the New Year's Eve of Tuesday, December the 31st, 1878. Went to the children's tea at Attercliffe. Afterwards, there was a magic lantern. After that, Betsy Panton and myself, Will Mies and Miss Hopkinson went on the top of our church steeple, splendid view could see all around coming down we had days and moments and now the day is over in the bell chamber enjoyed ourselves immensely Fred's new year's eve sounds rather lovely rounding it off with a bit of a sing with his friends I mean when was the last time you got to have a spontaneous sing with friends it's a rare occurrence outside singing groups and choirs perhaps at a barbecue if someone's brought their guitar But that's not to say that Fred and Janie and their friends didn't also have their own media. While they obviously didn't have TV shows, they certainly had books and theatre and opera, musical and concerts, and as mentioned before, even Magic Lantern shows. They swapped books with their friends and followed serial stories in the newspaper supplements. Imagine being able to read the Sherlock Holmes stories for the very first time. Arthur Conan Doyle first published A Study in Scarlet in magazines in 1887. And his scandal in Bohemia was serialized in 1891. I know I can't ever know, but I reckon our Janie would have bloody loved those. I received this lovely email from Joy and Roger. It's amazing the amount of historical content in the podcast. It must have taken ages. It's also local and relevant to the area. It brings it alive, like the first electricity lighting up a football match and vinegar valentines. When you were growing up, were Janie and Fred talked about often? Was there anything you discovered about their relationship that surprised or shocked you when doing the research? Well, firstly, thank you for your email. And I'm glad my little bits of history helped bring Janie and Fred's lives alive for you. The letters were always in the background, and they did come up in conversation periodically. We knew the letters were a real treasure. Apart from the incredible circumstances of Emma's divorce, I think the most surprising thing for me was that Fred monitored Jane's periods in his diary so diligently. I know these two were frank about their physical relationship, but I guess I assumed that Victorian women wouldn't talk about their periods to their menfolk. And here you have a man who is in many ways showing more interest and genuine concern for Janie's well-being regarding her periods than many male partners do today. I know some of it is him checking in with Janie on his visits back to Sheffield to see if they might be in with a chance of a private moment or to work out if she might be pregnant. But Fred clearly hates the idea of Janie being pain and states on several occasions that he's going to get her medical care when they start living together. This was all coming from a place of consideration. Joy and Roger also asked, Do you have any other artefacts from them, personal belongings and such? Have you visited their burial sites or the buildings mentioned in the podcast where they lived, etc.? We don't have any clothes or household objects that we know about. I have a suspicion that the battered bone handled dinner knives my granddad still had when we were visiting him in Sheffield could well have been from the set that Fred Johnson bought Janie and Fred as a wedding present. However, we lost track of those when he went into sheltered housing. As well as the letters, Fred's diary and Janie's paperwork, the only significant object is Janie's family Bible, which was given to her from her fellow Sunday school teachers and is now in the possession of my nephew, Fred and Janie's three times great-grandson. I would love to visit their graves. I was going to go this summer just gone, but our family bereavement put that on hold. I hope to reattempt it in the spring. I've visited Fred's family home in Darnell and the Cross Keys. A lot of the houses that they lived in in Middlesbrough have been demolished, but the one they lived in on Redcar High Street still exists. And I'd like to see that and walk along the Esplanade by the sea, and perhaps try and walk along the sands towards Saltburn, but not get cut off by the tide like Fred almost did. And continuing on this theme, thank you to Helen for these questions. Have you visited the Cross Keys pub and what is it like? How do the current owners feel about the podcast? Have you spoken to them about your family connections with the place? How do you know how to pronounce all the old names or are you making a best guess? And when is the BBC going to make this into a TV series? Oh, I'd love this to be dramatised so much. Wouldn't that be amazing? The names I try and ask around, but the only one I got no consensus on was how to pronounce John Mie's name which is spelt M-E-A-Y-S. So I was just having a guess. I suspect we'll probably never know how he pronounced it himself. As I mentioned, I have visited the Cross Keys in Handsworth a couple of times, the last in 2017, before it was taken over by the new proprietors. I have a few shots of the interior from then, a lot of dark wood panelling, but I didn't get to go upstairs into the family part. It's now called the Chartry Inn, in recognition that the building used to be the chantry for the church back in the 13th century. It's been beautifully refurbished. The current landlady and landlord have worked on it really hard to make it all lovely. And get this, their surname is Warburton. It's plausible that they could be distant relations, but we've not tried to find out. I'm totally made up that Warburton's are running the pub again. I have been in touch with them. They know about the podcast and they are kind enough to occasionally share my pictures on Instagram. And if you're ever in Handsworth, you should totally go and have a meal or a drink there. Carrying on with the history research theme, Manda asked, I wanted to ask about that additional layer of exploring everything else that was going on at the same time. It means that I begin to connect with my own family and my granddad, who was an engineer, And I begin to connect with railway history, for example, and everything then becomes more real, which has been facilitated by your podcast. My question really is, could you talk a bit about how you approach that and that being distinct from your family history? Hi Amanda, thank you so much. I'm really touched to know that my noodling around in history has been opening up your connections to your own family. That's rather lovely. My approach has been to try and dig out as much local colour as I can find, but it usually starts with a throwaway comment with a detail I don’t understand, such as discovering that Aunt Staniforth hosted the inquest in the Wellington Inn and then finding out that it used to be a fairly common thing to do that before the advent of official coroners. Or finding out that Fred’s office was connected to the telephone system, I was completely surprised to realize that the telephone had been adopted so quickly in the UK after its invention the hardest part is to know what to leave out, really, rather than what to include. But what I've done up to now is to be really strict with myself. Does this information further Janie and Fred's story? Does this help build a clearer picture of their day-to-day world or is it going off in a tangent? I could have included many more news stories of the time that I found interesting, but I've had to be really focused and only mentioned the ones that would have affected them somehow, like the murder of Lord Cavendish in Dublin or the eruption of Krakatoa. These are events that would have been akin to my great-great-grandparents' 9-11 in a way. By the way, Manda, when Janie and Fred's son, Arthur, grew up, he worked on the railways. So you'll be pleased to know there will be more railway history on the way in future. And thank you to Kevin for this question. I was wondering about class and where Fred and Janie fit in. We know Janie was a publican's daughter, which I think raises her a few levels up within the working class. But what did that mean for her opportunities? What did Fred's father do? Was Fred considered a few steps up from those that worked in physical jobs in the steelworks? I suppose we have nothing on where Fred's loyalties lay in relation to the strikes. Mm, Kevin, well, as far as the strikes were concerned, while Fred was a fair-minded chap, he was very attached to Arthur Cooper the boss of the Northeastern Steel Company. Fred was Cooper's prodigy really, and his whole fortune and life had turned around because of him. So I suspect that Fred could well have been a company man in this situation, but really there's no way of knowing. On the class situation, I know I speculated on this a lot in the first season of the podcast, and now I feel I have a better understanding for both of them. Fred's dad, Alfred Shepherd, was a roll turner, a really physical job in the steel mills producing railway tracks, but it was skilled labour and would have been better paid than men going down the mines or working in the docks. Somehow Alfred came to own the family home in Darnall. I don't know if that came via Anne, his wife, or if he had earned and saved enough over his life to buy it himself. So Fred's family were not the poorest of the poor, but still very much blue-collar By landing a desk job via doing very well in his education, Fred would have very much been seen as above that, especially once he moved to Middlesbrough. I've speculated that Janie being a publican's daughter and their connection to the Staniforths may have meant that she would have been seen as occupying that liminal area between upper working class and lower middle class. By the time the pair of them had moved to Redcar, they would certainly have been perceived as middle class. It's very sad that had Fred lived, his boys would have been sent for better education and may have been able to achieve even more for themselves and the family. As we'll see in the future, Janie had a struggle on her hands and it's a little shocking to me now to realise that the poverty my family had to deal with when my mother was a tiny child was in no insignificant part to do with the loss of Fred and the protection and financial support he would have given his family. Um, I was really flattered to get this comment from Paula. No questions, just thoroughly enjoy listening and your voice is so calming to listen to. Thank you for sharing your beautiful letters. Thank you, Paula. I'm so glad you're enjoying the podcast and that's such a lovely thing to say. I'm really surprised actually The number of messages I do get about my voice, that it's soothing or mesmerizing, even or compelling. I'm truly flattered. And to begin with, I wasn't sure what to do with this information. And I think what these messages have done is made me believe in myself as a vocal storyteller. And because of that, I can tell that I've become much more confident in the later seasons of the podcast than I was at the beginning. So thank you, all of you who have sent those messages over the course of the show they have made me a little bit more brave to be more expressive and even to take the occasional risk. Not enough, however, to try doing a Yorkshire accent full time. I mean, I can code switch to it, but I'm not sure I could sustain it through all letters. Right, enough of that. It was delightful to get this question from Julianne. She writes... The way you wrote the episode of Fred and Janie's Wedding, Season 5, Episode 8, was magical. You brought the event to life and as a listener, it felt like, yes, it happened just like that. I felt like I was there. What processes, practical and creative, did you use to put the episode together? Oh, what a lovely thing to say. I am thrilled to hear that the wedding episode was so evocative for you. I think those 10 minutes took the longest to work on in the whole of the 70 plus episodes so far. It was like flying blind for the first time, because of course the letters terminated just before the wedding. I actually first sketched out that episode, I think about a year ago now. I had just finished doing the wedding episode for Janie's brother and sister-in-law, Frederick and Polly. You know, the one where Tom Wortley was so drunk in charge of a horse and trap and he'd caused a carriage crash. After doing that script, it was late and I was about to go to bed and I had a sudden compulsion to start writing Janie and Fred's wedding. I realised that their wedding in terms of structure and cost, being the second wedding that the Warburton's had been involved in that year, would have been very similar. And that was such a gift to have that information. I think I structured and wrote 80% of that episode into the hours of the early morning. It just kind of unfolded so easily and I was genuinely moved by the end of it. When I came back to it, I just had to add in some of the things that had come to light in later letters. Doing the wedding without their voices was so hard, but it was nice to do a call back to Janie describing her brother's wedding and to bring in a bit of John Mier's letter again to represent his best man's speech. I was a little unsure about including the vows from the Book of Common Prayer, but we know those are words they would have spoken, so I gave it a go and then I kept it in. When I was editing it, with the exception of deliberately paying for a license to have a church organ version of the wedding march, I drew on all the music I'd used before that we have been used to hearing at different points during Janie and Fred's story to try and keep the familiar feel of it carrying them through. There's one particular track that I only ever use for when Janie or Fred are talking about their feelings for each other. You can hear it playing in the background now. And I knew I had to save it for the very last part of their wedding day. I also knew we had to finish with the moon shining splendidly and it being just one of their nights. Given that this has been a phrase the pair of them have repeated so, so many times in their letters... We can't really know if it was cloudy in Middlesbrough when they got to their lodgings, but frustratingly, according to Moon Phase calendars, on October the 12th, 1882, it turns out it was actually a new moon, so the moonlight will have to exist in our imaginations. If this ever gets made into a drama, I'm keeping it in. so I got this very important question now from Kate. Hundreds of us can't believe we've come to the end of this story. What story or stories are you going to tell next? Well, Kate, I can't quite believe we've come to the end of the story either. And in truth, we haven't. Thank you for this question, because it gives me the perfect opportunity to talk about the future of the podcast. I've mentioned before that my granddad, Owen, wrote his memoirs. Actually, harking back to an earlier question about the letters, I wonder if, because they existed, they in part inspired Owen to leave behind a record of his life. He's left behind the details of his life from 1919 to the 2000s. He died when he was 98, and I knew him for most of my life. He grew up in Sheffield during the Depression and he was a nurse in the Royal Navy during the Second World War. I have listened to many of his war stories, many times, firsthand, and they do not disappoint. Owen married the girl next door. Her name was Mary and she was Janie and Fred's granddaughter. So I want to read you a couple of extracts from his memoirs to give you a feel but you need to imagine that I'm a man speaking with a distinct Sheffield accent. No, I'm not doing the accent. Where's Sean Bean when you need him? Right, this first one. only would have been about eight years old. 1927. My childhood sledge. Pittsmore nestles on the side of Clydebank, one of the seven hills of Sheffield, and Marshall Street, where we lived with my grandparents, presented a fairly steep slope which was ideal for sledging when it was covered by winter snows. Few kids in Pittsmore slums enjoyed the luxury of a proper or manufactured sledge. Most of them were homemade, including mine. My sledge was a very large Yorkshire pudding tin in which I could sit comfortably with my feet hunched up to my bottom. The tin, once burnished by the ice, made a swift, efficient square boat but was unfortunately very difficult to steer. The upper 80 yards or so of the hill was extra steep, and the sledges sped at an alarming rate, but most of the kids managed to steer off to the right into Grove Street and gracefully slow down. My skimming dish rarely responded to my frantic efforts to turn off, and I would continue at an ever-increasing speed on down the hill, more often than not, facing the wrong way round, entirely out of control, and the only hope of avoiding a crash was to fling myself off and hope that I wouldn't hit a lamppost. After many such hair-raising rides, I would happily return home, hand back the somewhat battered tin with my grateful thanks, whereupon my Aunt Marion would endeavour to restore it to its original shape with a hammer, to once again continue its intended role as a Yorkshire pudding tin. I've always loved this story of my granddad's, and I think he's got a lovely way with words. I have many fond memories of crying laughing when he got going, Trying to do his voice justice is something of a challenge. For our purposes with this podcast, it's the next passage that links everything together. 1930. In the August of 1930, my family moved, after an 11-year wait on the council housing list from the slum district of Pittsmore to a newly built council estate at Wisewood at the lower end of the very beautiful, Loxley Valley, on the west side of Sheffield. It was the reputed domain of that illustrious character, Robin Hood, Earl of Loxley, that supposed fact fired my boyish dreams of anticipated adventure and added a touch of magic to the event. The estate was built on fallow fields, and most of the houses were semi-detached, spaciously spread, and each with a plot of fertile land for a garden. My father, was a keen gardener and had kept a well-stocked allotment of vegetables and flowers in pitsmore he quickly and energetically set about the task of tilling and planting and soon our garden was a delight to behold and from then on kept trim and colourful supplying us with beautiful flowers and fresh vegetables it was like moving to another planet gone the smoky grime of the asphalted backyards the air was pure because the prevailing winds were from the west, straight from the wild Bradfield Moors, unsullied and often carrying the scent of hay. Now I was to live in the countryside, in a green valley, with a view of distant hills and a whole new world to explore. This was one of the major changes in my life. I was now 11 years old and my sister Violet was six. Within a week of moving in, a large family moved into the empty house next door which again opened up another new chapter of my life. One member of that family was destined to share 37 years with me, 24 of them as my wife. That family, who moved in next door to Owen, contained two of Fred and Janie's grown-up children. Edith, my great grandmother, and Arthur. The head of the household was David Holden, who had married Edith and with her started a family. And Arthur lived with them too his whole life, Uncle Arthur, or Lunk for short. So here is my storytelling challenge. I have Janie's story to finish how she moved from Middlesbrough to the Loxley area in Sheffield, raised her kids, how one of them, Edith, met David, started a family, and with her brother in tow, wound up next door to Owen and his family, how Mary married Owen, the boy next door, and how they all survived the Second World War. One of Janie and Fred's grandsons, Mary's twin brother in fact, who was also called David, was actually a rear gunner in the RAF. Mary herself joined the women's RAF and Owen became a nurse in the Royal Navy. At this point in time, The way I segue through all of this to get to the rich detail of Owen's memoirs is not completely clear to me. To be able to tell the story of both families getting through the First World War, the Depression, the Second World War and out the other side would be amazing. And of course, most importantly, we still haven't finished with Janie. She lived on until 1921. So my plan is to come back with Janie's story in the spring in a new season of the podcast and in the process feel my way through the connecting history of those years that would have been relevant to her, then Edith, David and Arthur, and then Mary and Owen. I hope that you might want to continue taking a look at history through the eyes of a very ordinary working-class family in Sheffield. Thank you everyone for all your fabulous comments and questions today, and thank you all so very much for coming on this journey with me so far. The level of support and encouragement I've had from listeners has been just Wonderful, and I feel like there is a truly special group of people out there who love Fred and Janie as much as I do. I hope you're up for some more history adventures with my Love Letter Time Machine, and I will see you in the spring. Thanks again for listening to my Love Letter Time Machine. As I said at the beginning, it would be great if you could leave a review or click the ratings. I am sharing photos of Fred and Janie and their letters over on Instagram, my Love Letter Time Machine, all one word. And you can write to me at mylovelettertimemachine at gmail.com. This podcast was written and produced by me, Ingrid Birchall-Hughes. And the theme music is Delicate Waltz by Neil Cross. Until next time, take care.